Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, very happy you're with us today. Hope you've been enjoying these programs. If it's your first time, welcome. Uh, we tend to focus on some narrow elements of jazz recorded history and some very focused topics, I hope, uh, whether it be a songwriter or a recording session or a band or a city or something else that uh, unifies us for about an hour or so. And today, we're going to be listening to something a little bit different. Uh, James Price Johnson, James P. Johnson, was one of the great pianists of jazz history. He's considered one of the first stride pianists playing in that style. Uh, he's a transitional figure from ragtime to jazz, but where someone like Ubi Blake was definitely more on the ragtime side, uh, James P. Johnson was definitely more on the jazz side. And his career uh, went for uh, oh, about 50 years or so. He was born in 1894 in New Brunswick, New Jersey, although by the time he was a teenager, he was living in New York City with his family and starting to partake of some of the nightlife and the music life of the city. He uh, went to classical music concerts. He began studying with a classical piano teacher. He'd uh, found that he had perfect pitch and could sit down and pick out tunes on a piano pretty easily as a young boy. Uh, he also started listening to some of the pop music of the day, of the 1910s, the ragtime and syncopated music that was uh, uh, really the popular form of music in New York the time. It had grown out of ragtime and was starting to make uh, some tentative uh, edgings toward jazz, and uh, by 1920 or 21 or so, uh, it was pretty clearly becoming jazz. Of course, the original Dixieland Jazz Band is credited with making the first jazz recordings in 1917, but James P. Johnson uh, was making piano rolls uh, around that time and even a little bit earlier. He was hired by a number of the companies that were producing these things, QRS and Arto and a number of other ones, to... Um, produce piano rolls of popular songs and also of his own pieces. And he started doing that uh, in the mid to late 1910s. A piano roll was... Um Actually, was could have been several different things, but the classic one was just looked like a looked like a roll, a toilet paper or a, a, a paper towel roll, smaller than that, that uh, would have a, a carding wrapped around it that had indentations. That would, uh, when put in the mechanism of a player piano, uh, depress the keys to activate the hammers to recreate the sounds that had been imprinted on it. And uh, it was a kind of a mechanical thing, of course, couldn't really do dynamics very well or have any great subtleties, but uh, it was uh, a, a great innovation in recorded music. Of course, recordings had been around since the 1890s, but this was a, a way that you could have a piano player in your house without hiring a piano player. You could buy a roll for 75 cents or a dollar or whatever they went for and have a whole library of not only popular music but classical tunes as well. And the sound that would come out of them was the sound of your own piano in your living room. So it had a much greater fidelity, obviously, than uh, some of the acoustic recordings that were being made in the 1910s and first half of the 1920s. So James P. Johnson is uh, doing these things in 1916, 1917, thereabouts, and we're going to be playing a program uh, today of the piano rolls that he did. By some counts, he did about 52 of them, or at least 52 that survive, and uh, his uh, music was very influential on these rolls. Pianists as 
widely uh, separate as Cliff Jackson, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, uh, Claude Hopkins, all of them recall listening to these James P. Johnson piano rolls in the late 1910s and trying to copy them. Some of the pianos actually had a mechanism whereby you could slow down the roll. So if you had a fancy uh, passage, you could slow it down and actually see the keys depress and, and teach yourself that way. Duke Ellington said he learned the James P. Johnson classic Carolina Shout by doing that. We're going to hear that piano roll in a little while. So we're going to start out with a tune called the Harlem Strut. This was a James B. Johnson uh, composition. This was recorded for QRS, which was the longest-lasting piano roll company. I believe it was active up until uh, the 2000s, I think, creating rolls for some of the pianos uh, that were still uh, around and creating digital versions of them, too. But QRS was located in New York, I think on Long Island, and... Um, uh, Johnson did quite a few things for them, as did some of the other pianists of the day, people like uh, Fats Waller, uh, even Jelly Roll Morton did quite a few, and uh, George Gershwin did a bunch, not for QRS, he recorded for Aeolian, but um, a lot of uh, well-known or subsequently well-known piano players got their start by playing on these rolls. So Harlem Strut will be the first one, that's from 1921, then we're going to go to a uh, tune that's kind of a ragtime tune done in a sort of a late ragtime style. This was done for the Universal Company in May of 1917 as a James P. Uh, piece called Steeplechase. Following that, we're going to go in the other direction. We're going to hear a blues. This is called the Muscle Shoals Blues. It was done in April of 1922, again for QRS. This was a tune that was written uh, by George Thomas, who was kind of a legendary figure in early blues. He may have made the first recording of a uh, stride-style piano work, uh, something called The Rocks, which was credited to Clay Custer, which may have been a pseudonym for him. Um... George Thomas was uh, an early performer in New Orleans in the 1910s. His sister was Sippy Wallace, the blues singer, and they uh, had an act together. Uh, he had a younger brother named Hersel Thomas, who also was well-known as a blues pianist, who died quite young in the 1920s, but recorded with Louis Armstrong and some others. And uh, George Thomas uh, wrote quite a few tunes, including the New Orleans Hopscop Blues and this, the Muscle Shoals Blues, both of which date from his time in the 1910s in New Orleans. And we're going to hear James P. Johnson's uh, version of that. Then we're going to end up that set with uh, a, a real interesting uh, piece by James P. Johnson called Eccentricity. This is a waltz. Um, there weren't many 3-4 pieces or waltzes recorded by stride pianists in the 1920s and 30s. This is a, a um, composition, again, by him that he recorded twice for two different labels. And we're going to finish up this set with the longer version uh, for Our Tempo, which was a uh, piano roll company from... Uh, February of 1918. It was credited to James P. Johnson as a syncopated waltz, and so we're going to hear that. And we're going to start out the next set with the other version of Eccentricity, which comes from a few years later. So those are our four tunes right now. We're going to hear the Harlem Strut, Steeplechase, the Muscle Shoals Blues, and Eccentricity.
So there we are, some very good early stride piano playing by James P. Johnson. I guess you have to say it was by him. He recorded those roles. Sometimes they were retouched a bit uh, before they were sold. I don't know if any of his were, although uh, transcriptions have been done of those uh, piano roles, and people have studied them as James P.'s work, so I think probably uh, they're pretty authentic uh, versions of how he sounded at those particular times. Of course, the realization, as I said, of these piano roles really kind of uh, means that you don't have dynamics or, or, or any musical subtleties, but uh, chances are the way this music started, it didn't have a lot of that to begin with. It probably started out as barrel house music, and as did ragtime, of course, and, you know, music for dances at uh, uh, places that were not terribly savory, um, and we might get a sort of a flavor of that from what we just heard. So we started out with the Harlem Strut, which was a James P. composition. He also recorded that um, uh, commercially a little bit later on. That was from 1921 for QRS. Followed that up with the Steeplechase Rag, a nice uh, kind of a ragtime form type of piece. Shows the earlier style uh, that James P. was influenced by. That was from May of 1917 for Universal. Then we heard the Muscle Shoals Blues, a good uh, kind of a popular blues performance from, in this case, 1922, although that song had been around for some time at that point. Um, that was also for QRS. And then we finished up with the uh, Syncopated Waltz, uh, eccentricity for QRS in May of 1920. Actually, this uh, that was for our tempo in February of 1918. We're going to start the next set with another version of that tune, Eccentricity, for QRS in May of 1921. So three years later, three and a half years later, uh, he recorded the same tune. He never recorded, I don't think he recorded this commercially. And again, as I said, it was unusual that it was in waltz time. So... James P. Johnson, after he uh, started uh, playing professionally in the 1910s, uh, went out onto the tent show circuit. Uh, he toured as a member of the Smart Set, which was an African-American show touring largely in the South uh, during the 1910s. And uh, that was uh, where he met his wife, uh, who was a dancer at the time. They got married and stayed married for the rest of his life. And uh, he ended up coming to New York in the late 1910s, early 1920s, and he started writing for shows and uh, doing show work and things like that. And he became renowned for uh, writing show music throughout the 1920s. Of course, uh, Running Wild and Charleston and things like that were part of uh, part of his uh, musical expression as well. Uh, this was at a time when all black shows became uh, quite popular, if not lucrative, at least popular, uh, shuffled along. The Huey uh, Blake uh, show from 1922 really set the standard for that, and uh, African-American entertainers were trying to recapture that all through the 1920s, and shows by James P. Johnson and Fats Waller, Clarence Williams, Perry Bradford, people like that, uh, were all put on at various times and had varying qualities of music, as did all the Broadway shows. So we're going to hear some of those show tunes coming up in just a second. Uh, Johnson had made friends with uh, uh, his contemporary, Willie the Lion Smith, another great stride pianist. They had a sort of an unofficial club of stride pianists in New York at the time. And Fats Waller came up uh, as a young man uh, at that point. He actually started uh, studying informally, I guess, with James P. and uh, copying some of his things. And they became very close friends until Waller died in 1943. So we're going to, uh, as I said, start out with that second version of that syncopated waltz, Eccentricity, from May of 1921. And from that point, we're going to uh, uh, go on to uh, some other... Uh, 
original tunes by Johnson. We're going to hear Innovation, which he did in 1917 for Universal, followed by Caprice, which is also known as the Caprice Rag, I think, uh, from July of 1919 for the Unique label. And then we're going to um, finish up, I think, that set with a uh, W.C. Handy tune. This was actually a folk tune that Handy published and added new words to, and it became known as Loveless Love. And this was from 1921 in QRS, but this was a song that had been around for quite a long time. It originally was called Careless Love, and uh, as I said, Handy kind of co-opted it and changed the lyrics a bit, and it became a much more uh, familiar tune in this way, Loveless Love. So, these are Johnson piano rolls for those various companies from 1917 to 1921. Uh, beginning with eccentricity, going to innovation, caprice, and loveless love.
there we have four more piano rolls by the great James P. Johnson. Started out with that second version of that waltz, Eccentricity, and uh, went from there on to Innovation, uh, an interesting little experimental piece from 1917, and the Caprice Rag, done in 1919, and we ended up with his version of the W.C. Handy publication, Loveless Love, in 1921, done for QRS. So, in the 1920s, as I mentioned, uh, Johnson was writing for shows. He also started his recording career doing solo piano recordings on disc and uh, leading some bands as well. He recorded some of the bands that uh, were uh, he was leading in shows. Keep Shuffling was one show, Running Wild was another, um, and uh, other smaller ones or at, at uh, shorter intervals as well. Uh, it was during the late 1920s that he also began experimenting with composing what we would call classical works, concert works that were outside of the popular music tradition. George Gershwin, of course, was doing things like um, Rhapsody in Blue and American in Paris and uh, Concerto in F and things like that that had jazz influence uh, but were uh, marketed as classical works. And Johnson wanted to do that as well, but the uh, road was a lot tougher for an African-American composer to do that. And there were a few African-American classical composers. William Grant still was one. In fact, he uh, orchestrated for um, uh, the uh, James P. Johnson piece called Yamacraw, which was a sh short one-movement piece uh, detailing African-American life. It was made into a film in the about 1930 or so. And as I said, still um, orchestrated that in 1928 and still went on to have a very long career as a classical composer and conductor. He uh, composed a number of symphonies and uh, chamber works as well. Uh, Johnson, however, was much more rooted in popular music, and he was bringing in elements of blues and Tin Pan Alley, as Gershwin was, and uh, through the 1930s, he composed things like The Organizer, which was an opera he wrote to a libretto by Langston Hughes, and uh, was uh, it's been lost except for a few recordings that uh, Johnson made with uh, a small jazz band in the 1930s. Um, there were some very interesting tunes that came out of that, including the tune Hungry Blues. And then Johnson wrote uh, several uh, classical, classically oriented piano works as well. But of course, he was best known for these stride piano versions of popular tunes, his own tunes, and so forth. And uh, he continued playing throughout the 1930s. He had a, a stroke in 1940, which set him back a little bit. He did come back playing uh, about 1942 and continued a very busy career throughout the 1940s. About 1950, he had another much more major stroke, which rendered him pretty much unable to play, although he had the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, money coming in from his uh, various compositions in the past to keep him going, and he lived until 1954. So we're going to hear another set of uh, these Johnson piano rolls. We're going to start out with a tune that was not written by him. It was composed by a drummer named Anton Lada, and it was a very popular tune in the early 1920s. It was called the Arkansas Blues, and uh, we'll hear the Johnson recording or uh, piano roll for QRS in 1921, another sort of a popular blues performance. Then we're going to hear a tune that was composed by Clarence Williams and Spencer Williams, uh, two very active black composers in the 1920s. Um, who are doing shows on many popular songs as well. This is not a terribly well-known song. It's called Romania, and I believe it was written for a show uh, from about 1920. This was recorded, uh, I think this was uh, Clarence Williams' first recording, uh, which was done for, I think, Black Swan in 1921, but this piano roll was done in June of 1921 for QRS by James B. Johnson. 
Then we're going to hear his signature piece, the Carolina Shout. This was something that he composed to impress other piano players more than anything else, and this was to scare away competition at the uh, very gladiatorial uh, stride piano contest that uh, happened uh, on a regular basis in New York, the cutting contest. And this was considered one of the uh, most uh, desirable showpieces of stride piano uh, history and uh, something that everyone coming up playing in that style needed to learn to play. And this will be uh, Johnson's first recording, I believe, of this. This was for Our Tempo in uh, February of 1918. This is probably the role that uh, impressed Duke Ellington so much while he was a, a student in uh, Washington, D.C., then we're going to finish up with a medley of tunes from Runnin' Wild, the show that uh, Johnson did uh, in, I believe it was about 1921-22. Uh, this actually was composed, or rather, um, this was recorded for QRS in 1924. So this is the latest of the piano rolls that we're going to hear. I believe it was one of his last ones. And it's a medley. It's a fairly long uh, version. It goes about seven minutes, and uh, it consists of four tunes that were in that show. We have Charleston, which of course was one of the themes of the 1920s, Old Fashioned Love, which was one of Johnson's best-known pop tunes, and then two tunes not so well-known, uh, Open Your Heart and Love Bug. Love Bug is cited as a traditional tune, but the other three tunes were by James P. Johnson and Cecil Mack, who assisted him on the score. So those are our four tunes for this set. The Arkansas Blues, Romania, Carolina Shout, and the medley from Runnin' Wild featuring the Charleston Old Fashioned Love, Open Your Heart, and the Love Bug.
So there we have James P. Johnson and the piano rolls, or some of the piano rolls anyway. As I said, he did over 50 of them for various companies, probably a lot more than that that just haven't been found or uh, weren't written down in any list or anything like that. These were very transitory types of uh, way of making an income, so probably he didn't even pay too much attention to them, uh, or at least in terms of uh, recording the number that he did or the titles or so forth. So we started out with the Arkansas Blues by Anton Lada from 1920. That QRS piano roll, uh, then went into Romania, that unusual tune by Clarence and Spencer Williams, uh, another QRS 1921 uh, effort, and then into the Cal Carolina Shout, the showpiece of James P. Johnson's career, really. Uh, he recorded... Uh, a couple of studio versions in the 1920s, as well as a version uh, orchestrated for a band uh, that he did, and then he recorded it several other times over the course of his career. He was very prolific uh, as a recording artist towards the end of his career, from the mid-1940s on. He recorded for Ash, for uh, Decca, for Victor. He recorded in combination with some of the Dixieland musicians, like Eddie Condon and Max Kaminsky, um, Sterling Bowes. He recorded uh, for Blue Note under his own name and with some other groups. He was really a Quite a quite a quite a busy fellow back in those days. So then we finished up with that medley of Runnin' Wild from the show Runnin' Wild, which had those tunes Runnin' Wild, Old Fashioned Love. Actually, the medley was Charleston, Old Fashioned Love, Open Your Heart, and The Love Bug. So I hope you enjoyed this program. Some unusual things for the Jazz Focus, these piano rolls. Uh, someday we may go back and do one on Jelly Roll Morton, because he did quite a few and some very interesting ones as well. But this was all James P. Johnson and the beginning uh, of Stride Piano, some of the first recordings of Stride Piano, even though they're not officially recordings, but they give us our first idea of how that music came to be in the late 1910s in New York. So again, the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. If you'd like to sponsor us, please do so. Always looking for some new members of the family. We're uh, planning a whole bunch of new programs as we go forward. Some of our WETF radio shows from South Bend, Indiana will be showing up pretty soon. And uh, running the gamut, as they say, of jazz history. So thank you very much, and I'll see you on the other side.